Yesterday, January 27th, was the 73rd annual Holocaust Memorial Day. It dates from the liberation of Auschwitz by the Soviet Army in 1945 and the stunning discovery of the incomprehensible systematic slaughter of six million Jews. If you join the next Christ Church pilgrimage to Israel-Palestine in May of 2019, a year from May, mark your calendar. If you haven't been yet, we offer a fantastic excursion, deeply meaningful. Consider it, okay? If you join us, we'll visit in Jerusalem the World Holocaust Remembrance Center called Yad Vashem. This is a difficult museum to walk through as it traces the origins at the front end of anti-Semitism, especially within Christian sources and in Christian-majority nations like the United States, and the bewildering complicity of the majority of Germans who followed through with maximum efficiency and organization to systematically eliminate an entire ethnic population. A relatively short period of time, breathtakingly efficient. One of the ancillary memorials there is dedicated to the nearly two million children who were victims of the Holocaust. I've walked through that now nearly eight times and my eyes never fail to leak tears by the end at the staggering incomprehensibility. Among the things I have wondered about over the years was the seeming paucity of prophetic voices in those days. I mean, there were some, of course. We know about Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Christian theologians who wrote the Barman Declaration that stood against the policies of Christian nationalism. There were others. But, but even in the United States, strains, virulent strains of anti-Semitism prevented Jewish refugees from landing on our shores. And politicians, all the way to FDR, were cowed into refusing their entry for lack of national support. In other words, for brazen, incipient anti-Semitism here in the United States. Consider the famed entrepreneur, Henry Ford. In 1918, Ford purchased his hometown newspaper, the Dearborn Independent, and began publishing articles that claimed a vast Jewish conspiracy was infecting America. The articles were bound into volumes titled The International Jew, and he distributed nearly a million copies of these volumes through his vast network of Ford dealerships and subscribers. As one of the most famous men in America, Ford legitimized ideas that otherwise may have been given little authority. And these were the same days as the heyday of the Ku Klux Klan. 
when they claim nearly or in excess of four million bona fide members, virulent strains of anti-black and anti-Jew blended into an amalgam of white supremacy that lingers to this day, a hundred years later, as we saw in Charlottesville last year. And since the Klan liked to burn huge crosses as an emblem of fear, we are reminded that they cast their point of view with a Christian tint. Likely most Klan members were also members of local churches. But, but you know, then Christians had long defended segregation and slavery before it by piously quoting scripture. Christians have never been immune to missing the point at the heart of what it means to follow after the way of Jesus. That's simply factual. It's important for us to admit this and remember. And that's why it's so essential we remain true to the central organizing principle Jesus set before us with both his words and the content of his life. Love God above all things. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God above all things. Love your neighbor as yourselves. Creating enemies, fostering fear and hatred of others is absolutely antithetical to this fundamental proposition. It is completely baffling. It's completely baffling to me how easily this can get lost as the essential cornerstone of the Christian faith. Everything else flows forward from this. All people have equal standing before God since all have been created in God's image. What is so difficult to comprehend about that? Why do we run from it? Why do we organize all sorts of other stuff to avoid that? What is so difficult to comprehend? And yet every generation needs its prophets to proclaim this truth. Every generation. Considering the necessity of this prophetic witness of love today, we can see how it is that someone like, say, Martin Luther King Jr., that we spoke about two weeks ago, rose up from out of the church to call it back to its essential witness, namely, to love as Jesus did. That's the essential witness. Love, that's it. Loved as Jesus did. All persons, regardless of any distinguishing characteristic, this included, by the way, loving one's enemies. This was the heart of nonviolent protest. I mean, how can we misconstrue Paul's meaning when he writes, Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal, be ardent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, contribute to the needs of the saints and extend hospitality to strangers. I know I'm repeating what you just heard, but I think it bears hearing again given our 
propensity to deafness. Bless those who persecute you. Did you hear that? Oh my God. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. Associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Live peaceably with all. Do not overcome evil by evil, but overcome evil with good. <laughs> you know, friends, this is what we're called to embody. It is no more complicated than that. This is what we're called to embody amidst the rancor and enmity of our current moment. The insidious tribalism runs counter to our call. We're meant to stand apart from this, and not in disinterest or disengagement, but as advocates for healing and reconciliation in the manner of Jesus, who spoke as one with authority, said Mark. We're meant to love God and neighbor. That's it. That's it. Listen how the Gospel of Mark again described the situation after Jesus healed a man with an unclean spirit, whatever that might be. Don't get hung up on the literal specifics. Listen to the response of the amazed witnesses who kept on asking one another, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. Following Jesus' way through the world, puts us at odds with current conditions. And we should ask ourselves, what does fidelity to this mission look like? What does it mean for us to comport ourselves in keeping with the prophetic witness of Jesus? After the Germans overwhelmed France and their policy Concern concerning Jews was being implemented. The response of a certain village of Protestant Christians becomes instructive, especially considering that the vast majority of identified Christians aligned themselves with Adolf Hitler's agenda. Let's repeat that because I think we don't quite realize it. The vast majority of self-identified Christians in Germany and other parts of Europe aligned themselves with Hitler's agenda. From December 1940 to September 1944, the inhabitants of the French village of Le Chambon-sur-Lignon and the villages in the surrounding plateaus provided refuge for more than 3,500 Jews who were fleeing for their lives. Led by Pastor André Trachme of the Reformed Church of France, 
his wife Magda, and his assistant, Pastor Edouard Thais. The residents of these villages offered shelter at risk of, to their own lives in their private homes, in hotels, in farms, and in schools. They forged identification and ration cards for the refugees and guided them across the border to neutral Switzerland. These actions of rescue were highly unusual. Why did they do this? Why did they risk arrest and imprisonment and death? A clue is found in a public sermon by Pastor Trachme, who said, The Christian church must kneel down and ask God for forgiveness for its present failings and cowardice. That was a prophetic voice in a perilous time. Remember, the biblical witness says God will raise up prophetic voices in perilous times. As you've heard me say in the past, taking the mission on to love as God loves, to take this on, living in the manner Paul described and that Jesus modeled has the effect of dignifying our humanity. You can sense this, I think. And it holds the key to human flourishing. Healthy, wholesome communities are built with resilient, sacrificial love. Those of you that have grown up, had the privilege of growing up in a healthy family, know what this is about. Tribalism, hate, fear-mongering, selfishness, lack of compassionate regard for others are all viruses that attack the human organism and must be resisted. This question runs counter to current conditions. This message runs counter to current conditions. Yet has never seemed more relevant, more important, and ultimately more hopeful. You have likely heard of Anne Frank, the 13-year-old Jewish girl who hid with her family in Amsterdam during the Second World War. She wrote a famous diary that is filled with compassionate wisdom way beyond her years. If you have never read it, by the way, it's worth picking up a copy. Eventually, Anne and her family were betrayed and carted off to Auschwitz. An entry dated... July 22nd reads, It's a wonder I haven't abandoned all my ideals. 
They seem so absurd and impractical. Yet I cling to them because I still believe in spite of everything that people are truly good at heart. It's utterly impossible for me to build my life on a foundation of chaos, suffering, and death. I see the world being slowly transformed into a wilderness. I hear the approaching thunder that one day will destroy us too. I feel the suffering of millions. And yet when I look up at the sky, I somehow feel that everything will change for the better, that this cruelty too shall end, that peace and tranquility will return once more. How wonderful it is that nobody need wait for a single moment to start improving the world.